Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Book Journeys Radio, an interview series for authors in transformation. From the basic fundamentals of selecting a book topic and overcoming writer's block to advanced techniques for publishing and marketing your books. Don't forget to check out our complete schedule and archive shows at blogtalkradio.com forward slash book dash journeys. Now, get ready to make a difference with your book with your host, founder of the author incubator, Dr. Angela Loria. Well, hey, everybody, you are in the right place at the right time. We have an amazing show for you today. My guest today is someone who I think many of you can relate to. When he started the process of writing a book, he didn't know if it was possible. So if you are thinking about your book and you're wondering, can I do it? Stay tuned. Um, I know you are going to love this interview and love seeing uh, the transformation and how that transformation from thinking maybe I have an idea here to holding your book in your hand can happen. Um, I want you to follow along with the show by heading over to Amazon and getting yourself a copy of our guest book, Randy Gaffner is the author of Zen and the Art of Making a Morris Chair. You can go and check that out over at Amazon.com. Randy also has uh, a website over at AwakenCreativePotential.com. So if you want to follow along online and Check out more about him when you're listening. If you are not driving, do not do this while driving. Um, I know that you will uh, enjoy uh, checking out his book and his website. Randy, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Angela. Uh, it's great to be with you. All right, let's start to at tell- the top. Tell everybody about Zen and the Art of Making a Morris Chair. What's your book about? Zen and the Art of Making a Morris Chair is really about awakening your personal creative potential. Uh, So it's about creativity uh, and the importance of making something with your hands. Uh, I've made something, the chair that I made was something I made with my hands, and I realized that there are, it's really important for all of us as humans, we have an opposable thumb, and it allows us to do wonderful things, and there's actually health benefits to moving your hands and making things, uh, knitting, cooking, music playing, all sorts of different kind of things uh, lend themselves to uh, a healthy outcome and a feeling of, I can really do this. So uh, that's, that's what I felt when I made the chair, and that's what I'm hoping to encourage other people to do is start finding something in their life that they can make and feel accomplished about. Now, I know it's not about the chair, but just in case people are curious, what is what is a Morris chair? Tell people what that is and just uh, give them a little sense of how long that project was, how complicated it was, just so they know what we're talking about. Okay. A Morris chair is actually named after uh, William Morris. He was a kind of a philosopher and a uh, business guy in the middle 1800s in in Europe, but my chair is designed and built in the American arts and crafts style, which was part of the Art Nouveau period after the Victorian and before we got into uh, post-First World War. And 
the arts and crafts style was a, a time when many people were encouraged to make things. This is the time when, in 1902, Popular Mechanics started publishing plans for making things. People were learning to take wood shop in their school. They were taking home economics. And now in our 21st century, we don't have home economics. We don't have shop classes. Many individuals would like to be able to balance their work life by making something. They don't know what to start with. They don't know if they can do it. They don't want to do something that they'll be ashamed of. In my book, I talk about judgment, self-judgment, the judgment of other people, acceptance of imperfection, a whole host of other things that wrap around that Zen idea. Love it. Totally love it. Um, So you made the chair quite some time before you wrote your book. Um, how, how long was it before you wrote your book? I, I, built, I, I built the chair in uh, year 1999 and year 2000. It took me a year to build the chair. It's built out of uh, American white oak, which is the preferred species of wood. And uh, it certainly was not the first project, but it, it actually the motivation for building the chair came out of a, whole series of very unfortunate life experiences. Uh, in the mid-1990s, I was uh, working very hard on a, uh, rehabbing a, a house in a frontier neighborhood of Washington, D.C. I was married. I was working uh, for the city at the time. And uh, in early 1994, a, a man walked up to me early in the morning in my neighborhood and put a pistol to my head, and I thought I was going to die. Uh, yeah. The gun didn't didn't it didn't kill me. No shots were fired, but it certainly made a very scary sound. And at that point, I I look at that as kind of the catalyst for a whole uh, cascade of unfortunate events, where I lost my house, my spouse, and my job in a relatively short period of time. And during the time when I was starting to figure out what was going to be the next step, I was actually meeting with my estranged wife in the uh, library since you can't scream at each other in the library and I noticed the November 1997 issue of Popular Mechanics magazine which said arts and crafts furniture that you can build and I was immediately struck by the idea of starting to build things for myself. I had made things before. I'm a musician. I do lots of things with my hand. I love my hand but I hadn't thought about building furniture so I found a uh, with the help of others, I found a, a public shop in Arlington County where I started building furniture. And by no means should someone suddenly step out and suddenly say, I'm going to build a Morris chair. I started on very small projects at first and then built to that mm-hmm. and and built a number of different pieces. The chair took me a year to make. I could only work six hours a week in this public shop. And uh, the book chronicles the steps of building the chair, but no one could build a chair from what I'm writing about. It's more about the life experience and what you will experience when you're trying to make things. And I've had so Mm. many experiences that I've talked to other people about what they're making and uh, how they handle the imperfection when they're knitting something. How many rows back will you go if you see an imperfection? One woman told me she would go back three rows, which in a blanket would be an hour's worth of work to make sure that the piece was correct. And I said, wow, wow. That, 
that's amazing. Um, and in my book, I have a very serious error that I made, which I didn't want to admit to anyone. But when the Smithsonian asked me to demonstrate my chair in 2010, they didn't come to me and say, show the imperfections of your chair before we let you show your chair to the Corcoran School of Art. They said, we want your chair there, and we want you to demonstrate your chair to the to the art students. And that's what I did. Amazing. So the same the same process, the same perfectionism, the same fears, they come up when you are doing a project like a book. So I wonder for you, I know you were I know you were someone who wasn't a hundred percent sure that you that you could write a book when you signed up to work with us. You were very brave and took a leap. Um, what are some of the pieces of advice that you might give yourself, um, you know, if you could go back in time and start the book process again? What did you learn um, or what do you know now that you didn't know before you wrote your book? Well, one thing I can tell you is that I would not have done it without you, Angela, um, because you had a program that I could follow. And um, and I, I, the, I've talked to other people who are writing things, and I say, well, you know, I've completed my book, and they think that's great, and they say, oh, I'm a writer, and I say, you know, how are things going? And they say, well, it's sitting in a drawer on top of the other things that I've also written. And... Um, I don't know exactly what to say at that point because I feel as though the process is what I followed. And no question, I I pushed back against that several times, but it, the the uh, the process is is what I grew to recognize, especially the ideal reader, which I think at some point mm. we'll be talking about. Yeah, let's I don't I actually don't even talk about that normally, but you did such an amazing job um with your ideal reader. So, um talk about how one of the things in in our program is that we I call your book a love letter to one person. And so, we spend some considerable time uh and very important time up front getting clear about who you're writing your book for. So, for you, how did that how did that process change what your book would have been? How did that influence you? Well, one of the things in kind of the short form is that I've learned from the process that if I'm trying to write a book that will appeal to everyone and I try to write it to everyone, no one will see themselves in it. But if I write to one person, many people will see themselves in that. In my case, my, I, I developed a complete fictional person. Uh, his name is Logan. He was 37 years old. He uh, liked to go to museums and looked at the amazing things that people made in the past with their hands, but he had no idea how he would do that for himself. And he realizes that he was, um, he's really the same person as, any of the other humans in his ancestry or in any place where he had gone that were all the same people, eon after eon, but he didn't know how he would make any of those things. He also happened to work um, in IT where he taps on a keyboard and 
generates lots of paperwork and things like that, but at the end of the day, he doesn't really have much to really carry away where he was really personally invested in what he was doing, where if he made a mistake, he was learning about it for himself and and no one else needed to know unless he wanted to point it out. But, of course, mm. in, your, in your workplace, uh, a boss will come along and say, well, well, this isn't looking too well. Hopefully they will praise you for that. Um, but uh, And also, um, this individual lived in Columbus, Ohio. I know a little bit about Columbus, Ohio, but I kind of picked middle America. Interestingly, I've met... Uh, at least two different times I've met this fictional person in real life. I don't remember I love that. the name, but it was shocking when when this started, and I even told them a little bit about this, but I didn't. I left off the part about where they lived, and they said, well, actually, I, I work in IT, and uh, I'm from Ohio. And I immediately mm. said, this is too weird, um, but if Confirm for me that um, you have to write to a person, uh, and and that was always a part of the um, the program for that Angela was was um, has, has prepared is that it must fit the ideal reader. At any point uh, later on during the editor, the development editor had to know who the ideal reader was. When you went to marketing your book, you had to go back. I found it very valuable for writing my cover copy and things like that to go back to my ideal reader and ask, essentially query that person who you had conjured up uh, and and ask them what was it that um, they would like to see on the back of the book that they would then be reading. It seems a little – I'm a science person. It seems a little – Odd, and, 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 no, and no question, I pushed back against some of that. But I learned that um, I needed to follow the process, and I'm very glad I did. Oh, I love that. That's a great way of describing it. And I think so many people like you have a message that they want to get to everyone, and they think the they think the way to get there is by trying to reach everyone. And it's really hard to fight that temptation to go broader. Um, when really, when really the key is to go narrow. I love the examples that have shown up um, in your life that have showed you how that works. Are there people who have found your book who are not your ideal reader, um, who have said the book resonates with them? Maybe someone who's not a guy, not in their 30s, not from Ohio. Has, Has the book helped them too, or do you have any evidence of that? Uh, Oh, yes. Uh, Well, of course, um, the reviews that are on my uh, Amazon um, uh, page uh, reflect that, and I've met some of those those individuals, and frequently their house ma- their um, mothers that stay at home, or uh, individuals that uh, are attorneys. But then um, I ask them, you know, how's that going, and they say, well, it's going well. And, uh, and I say, so when we, when you were younger, um, did you have anything that you made with your hands? And they said, well, yes, I was drawing. But uh, my dad told me that I should, re- you know, drawing probably wasn't going to be putting food on the table, so I should consider something else. But now she finds that um, she's still an attorney, but her best day, 
best part of her day is when she's going back and doing a drawing for herself. And so, again, I find that this is this is where people are. They find themselves within that. The readers of the book find themselves in that because there's probably something in your past that you've made. And, it's again, it's not really about the chair. It's about what was your perception of the judgment of others on your on your work? What was your personal perception of your personal judgment on your work? Are you being too harsh? What about acceptance of of imperfection when you're working on something? What about the change in identity when you when you suddenly realize that somebody says, "Oh, I didn't know that you draw. You're an artist." Some, for some people, that's a hard um, new identity to take on. And uh, and also, I cover all of these uh, under five different uh, headings in my book, including one having to do with belief, the importance of believing in your ability to do this, um, which is a big part of writing a book. <laughs> and when I started, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't sure I was going to do this. I really wasn't. And so what so, what changed your mind? What convinced you? I think there are a lot of people out there who have an idea, they're thinking about doing it, they're thinking about not doing it. Maybe they've been sitting on the fence for a little while. What was the thing that pushed you over the edge? Um, the thing that uh, made it possible was that there was a plan. And also, I mean, if you talk to Angela, she will she will talk to you about your 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 idea and truthfully i felt supportive but i was also a little cautious because um i was being this this is a was was kind of a revealing sort of thing to suddenly start writing about something that kind of was sort of private and uh, of course mm-hmm. people liked the chair but I, was i going to talk about some other aspects of creativity um Maybe not, but when it comes to uh, deciding what you want to do, at least in this situation for me, right from the very beginning, I knew that I was going to complete. Um, There was no doubt. There were certainly difficulties in between in, in the month of December, which I was the month that I was writing. Uh, of course, there's holiday parties, my birthday's in there. My At that time, my dad was having open heart, heart surgery. Um, there was a whole host of different things that were going on that might have caused me to derail, but I had a plan and I followed the plan. And I had deadlines that I needed to meet and I met those deadlines. And as I met those earlier deadlines, I had more confidence to complete the later ones. Yeah. So that, that was a big part of of it. And I'm very glad that I did complete because there's nothing quite like saying, so what do you do? And that's very popular in the Washington, D.C. area. People will say, well, what do you do? And I say, I'm an artist. And they say, oh, I'm an author. Excuse me. I'm an author. And they say, really? Have you got a book out? Yeah. The best-selling uh, Amazon book. Really? Do you have a copy? Yes, here it is. The cover. Well, let's talk, like, everybody, every author gets a chance at some point to, 
to, they may or may not take the chance, but every author could say, I'm an author, um, especially if you've published a book. I think you earn that, right? But you do that more often than most people. Um, on a pretty regular basis, you share your book with people, and you have such an interesting way you do that. Um, how is it that you talk about your book so often with people? Um, I have, uh, for a number of years, I've worked in the media and done a number of other things, and I continue to be involved in strategic planning and communication. But uh, that's not every day, and so I fill in some of my days with uh, I drive a ride share with uh, Uber. And so I have my car and I have bookmarks and I hand out a bookmark. And if somebody wants to talk about my book or um, after I after they see that I have this bookmark sitting kind of conveniently where people can see it, oh, what's this? Those are my people anyway. They're actively involved in their life. They're interested in what's going on around them. And so I have perhaps 15 to 30 different individuals that I've never met before. I get to talk about my book. And it Mm. helps me to understand a little bit more about where my mission is. And it's to help people identify an area of creativity where they can feel very much more connected with their humanity and their humanness by making something again and again. I've recently been doing some research, the scientific research behind this, and I came across this uh, study that was sponsored by Mayo Clinic that suggests that simply knitting, not just once in a while, but knitting will reduce your Alzheimer's risk 30 to 50%. I think that's significant. Yeah. Uh, I um, recently attended a um, a, a neurologist's uh, book event, and he was talking about the importance of playing a musical instrument and how the neuroplasticity of your brain changes so that it accommodates the additional stimulus that's coming from your fingers. So, for example, the left hand in a cello player with the right brain because those those signals cross in the brain is more developed to support that. And the research is out there to suggest that it's really important for us to connect with our humanity and our humanness by making things. Or as one of my riders in my car said one day, she said, they said, you mean, Randy, our, our thumb is for more than just a space bar on our keyboard? Yeah. That was kind of significant for me. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm now, perhaps, I, I don't want to get overboard here, but it's really much like some people would like to spin or do something like that. Um, that's That's useful as well for exercise, but when it finally comes down to it, um, it's really, really important to be, from my perspective, from the perspective of my book. I can tell you the the satisfaction of sitting in my chair is unparalleled. Mm-hmm. Uh, people ask me about what's that like. They said, "Do you still have it?" I said, "Of course." They said, "Are you making other pieces?" I said, "No, there's only one." I, right. I, I'm, you know, moving on to other things, but um, but I cook, bake, play 
play the piano. I do a number of other things. Um, and when so, I encounter people so that don't, you're... it's sad. When you're driving uh, and someone wants to talk about your book, um, what for you do you think has been the best thing to come out of that experience? Most people don't get, I don't know if you drive every day, but most people don't get daily or weekly experience kind of pitching their book. And I know you'll actually even sell it. Um, people can actually buy their buy your book if they're if they're in your car for a ride. How do you think autograph. that has changed? Oh, and you'll autograph it. Nice. How do you think sure. that's changed you as as an author or enhanced your marketing skills? What do you think has come out of that? Well, one thing that I've grown to really realize is the mass of humanity and the the need that people have. Um, everyone is highly stressed. Um, there's huge differences between day of the week and the weekend. Many people are turning to alcohol or something else, which is fine. It's great. Uh, that may be the reason that they're taking the car. But um, when it finally comes down to it, people are, I believe, are looking for, frequently, sometimes, are looking for something that will change that their personal trajectory. And I've had people say, I am so glad that I met you after talking mm -hmm. with you. Uh, I'm so glad that we had this conversation because uh, I'm either revived or I have, uh, I'm going to pick that up again. Or, you know, I was thinking about getting back to my, um, uh, my cooking. I've had men and women who are cooking I say, what do you cook? What are you making? Um, oh, I had one guy that makes soap. He hmm. was very reluctant to talk about it. I said, wow, it's making soap. And so we talked about the importance of, you know, where, was, where does he find his glycerin and all the other different kind of things. And it's fascinating for me because I don't know about soap making. But, again, it's the same principles. Acceptance, imperfection, belief, identity, all that, they're the same things. These are, this is about uh, personal creativity. And a lot of people are trying to be creative in their work and they don't find it. I'm not suggesting that anyone stop their full-time job if it's working out for them and suddenly go live in a hut someplace and spin pottery. That would not be my mm. objective. But if you can find some way to do something that will kind of, become your project where you really have you are birthing something that is uh, your thing then I will have felt as though I've um, made a difference for them and have you gotten feedback from people who have said they have done projects or that your book made a difference for them yes I I have uh, I've met I met, it's actually the, of course, the people around me, people that know me and know friends, they frequently will buy a book or, or know about it. And my uh, my niece's mother-in-law uh, is uh, open to a number of different ideas, yoga and things like that. And um, she was, she was um, very impacted by the idea mm. that, she would be 
it's sometimes it's it's a reminder that simply people just need to be reminded that this is another option. It's something they used to do yeah. before the kids came along or it's something they used to do. I met a guy yesterday. He's trying to learn to play the guitar. I was telling him about music theory while we were riding along, and he said, oh, and his wife is spinning pottery. We didn't have a time, enough time to really chat on this, and, of course, he wasn't there. My first question would have said, how do you feel when you're doing that? I can tell you the first mm. word that everyone says is, I feel accomplished. What kind of experience during your day do you feel accomplished? If you, right. can, if you told somebody that you wouldn't feel accomplished by making your own stuff, I think that people would move toward that. Yeah. Well, I love this. Randy, your work is such a great metaphor for um, or parallel to writing a book. Obviously, um, the work with your hands is different because it's usually on a keyboard, but the sense of uh, accomplishment from finishing a project um, like a book, I think, is very similar to these projects. So I am so grateful you shared your message with us today. Randy Gaffner is the author of Zen and the Art of Making a Morris Chair. You can find that on Amazon. Check out more about about Randy at awakencreativepotential.com. Randy, thank you again for all your insights and congratulations on your book. Thank you very much, Angela. And you can also check me on Facebook at Awaken Creative Potential. I have a community page there. I love it. Awakening Creative Potential. Guys, we will be back next week, awakening more creative potential of our own here at Book Journeys Radio. Thanks for joining us. This has been another episode of Book Journeys Radio, where we're changing the world one book at a time. To find out more about how you can get your book written, published, and promoted, visit www.theauthorincubator.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.